Welcome to the Vineyard Altoona podcast. If you have any questions or just want more information, you can visit our website at vineyardaltuna.org or any of our social media platforms at Vineyard Altoona. And now, here's Jerry with the message. So here we are in the end of summer. We're sort of at the end of our, we've been going through 1 John for the whole summer, and we're wrapping that up in the next few weeks. And we have a lot of exciting things happening in the fall. Derek kind of alluded to, uh, we're having new life groups and Alpha and lots of really cool things coming up. But for many of us, we're just trying to make it through these last few weeks of summer, right? Summer sort of invites us into this breezy, chaotic, chill existence, I think. And that's lovely because rest is really good. And I think summer is really good for us. But as I've talked to lots of people, I find that at the end of summer, people are kind of going crazy and not really sure what they can hold on to because their routines have been completely changed. And for some of us, that's like really necessary. Like me, I have kids who are in school during the fall, in the summer, they're not. So my schedule has to change. But I think for some of us, and not that it's not me as well, it's a lack of discipline that we don't put the things in our schedule that we need that keep us healthy. And so by the end of summer, we're crazy. Um, I tend to be someone who really, really, really likes structure. I didn't always. But what I have learned is that my life works much better if I have structure, if I have set things that are going to happen at certain times. I even schedule rest because then I can make boundaries around my rest if I know that it's rest time. And so I really like structure, and I know that this weird thing happens to us in the summer where we get crazy. So historically what I've done is about May, the beginning of May, I start planning for the summer. And I have like the chore charts, and I have our schedule scheduled out by half an hour. And I know what we're going to eat every day. I just make these plans for our summer. And I think, man, we're going to have a good life. Like this summer is going to be great. If I can just have careful planning and strict enforcement to the rules, our summer is going to be awesome. And so that's how I start. That's how June usually starts. And then by the end of August, we're all tired. I don't remember the last time we ate a vegetable. And all of a sudden now, swimming in a public pool counts as bathing. Like, that's the real, real of my life right now. This is the life we're living. And that is the life that we live every summer. And I think there's this thing in me that knows that we are built for a good life, that we are meant to have a good life. And so what that means for me is that I try to manhandle it into being good. I think we all sort of know that we're meant, we want to have a good life. For it to be more whole, more free, more peaceful than the life we currently see ourselves living. I think it's pretty easy to look around and see the things that don't line up, right? The things that are not quite good or not what they should be that miscarriage or addiction or disease or abuse, we can look at that pretty easily and say, no, that's not how the world should be. 
the sin-wrecked state that we find ourselves in is not the end of the story. And so because we're made in the image of God, there's this thing in us that knows this is not right. And this is not how it's supposed to be. And we want a life that is good and peaceful and joyful, full of freedom and love. And because we look around and we don't quite see that, we know that we're supposed to overcome the situation that we find ourselves in. We look around and we say, something's not right. It's supposed to be better than this. And so today we're going to talk about how faith in Jesus gives us a life that overcomes the world, how that actually works. And so would you pray with me before we get started? God, I just confess and surrender. You're in control, and I'm not. So God, I pray that you would have your way this morning, that whatever you want to say to us would be said, and anything that's not for now wouldn't. God, come in power. Touch our hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. So we're going to look at 1 John chapter 5, verses 4 through 12. <clears throat> and it says, For everyone born of God overcomes the world. This is the victory that has overcome the world, even our faith. Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. And it is the Spirit who testifies, because the Spirit is the truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit, the water, and the blood, and the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater, because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his Son. Whoever believes in the Son of God accepts his testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Whoever has the Son has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. So John says that everyone born of God overcomes the world. And what a condition of being born of God is that you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. But John says, according to him, if you meet the criteria, that criteria that I just mentioned, you will overcome the world. He says further that through faith, those born of God believing in Jesus not only will, future tense, overcome the world, but have overcome the world. We have overcome. We are continuing to overcome. So all of this begs the question, what does it mean to overcome the world? It's not really helpful if we don't understand what we're talking about. And I think often, even in some Christian theology, what it means to overcome the world to us is to win by the world's standards, right? Does overcoming the world mean that you'll never not have enough? or that you'll be rich, or that you'll always be respected, or that you'll always be healthy, or that you'll never suffer. Is that what it means to overcome? And I think when we hear that word, sometimes it does mean some of that to us. In the next few verses, John goes on to talk about, he has this weird talk between 
the blood and the water and the testimony. He kind of talks about these things. But I think that gives us some clues as to what he means when he says we will overcome the world. He talks about how Jesus overcame the world. Verses 5 through 9 says, Who is it that overcomes the world? Only the one who believes in Jesus, believes that Jesus is the Son of God. This is the one who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ. He did not come by water only, but by water and blood. John says that we overcome the world through our faith in Jesus. And then he goes on to talk about how Jesus overcame the world. John stresses the point that Jesus came not just by water, but also by blood. And the context there, the, the water is meant to point to Jesus' baptism. So Jesus came as Messiah through baptism, the water. But then he goes on to talk about not just water. He didn't just come be baptized and proclaim the love of God. He then came by the blood. The blood points to Jesus' crucifixion and death. So Jesus didn't just come to tell people of God's love. Jesus also came and suffered and died. And that's pretty unanimous among scholars that that's what we're talking about here. John is very clear to point to the way that Jesus overcame the world is not only through his birth and baptism and proclaiming the love of Jesus and the love of God, but it's also through his suffering and death. That's how Jesus overcame the world. And so as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, what in a worldly sense might it look like? What would I think it would look like for Jesus to overcome the world? Well, would it mean that God would send angels to come and save Jesus and fight for him so that he wouldn't have to suffer and die and then maybe raised, rise to power and then he would be in charge of making the rules and maybe the kingdom would come through that, through Jesus being set up on high and then power coming down. Or maybe Jesus would have been born into a royal family so that he just very naturally became king and was in charge and had everything he needed. And maybe that's how God's kingdom would come in a worldly way of overcoming. But it's very clear to say that's not how Jesus did it. That's not how he overcame the world. John is saying that we win not that we win by the standards of the world. One of the commentaries that I read in preparation for today's message said, to overcome generally means to conquer, overcome, prevail. For John, it's about successfully living God's way rather than succumbing to the whims and priorities of a rebellious world. So to overcome does not mean that in the standards of the world or in the eyes of the world that we win. It means that we live lives that transcend the ways and rules of the world. Lives of deeper truth, hope, and love than this world can offer. That's the kind of life that Jesus lived, one of goodness and truth beyond this world. And that's what God promises us through faith in Jesus. But, but faith is tricky, right? Because faith requires that you trust in someone other than yourself. 
which is hard, and it's hard to measure. I think we don't like that. We don't like things that we can't put a number on and know for sure. How many of you would say that you struggle to trust? I want you to raise your hands. Yeah. I would say that I am someone who typically struggles to trust other people. And if we're really honest, I think some of us struggle even to trust our spouse or our family members. Maybe there's not one person in the world that we fully trust. And as someone who sits down across the table from people very often and talks to them about their innermost feelings, I will tell you that most people struggle to trust. And I think culturally, our culture is becoming more and more distrustful, increasingly. But that's not a new problem. If we look back at 1 John, John addresses the fact that humans have a hard time trusting. And he talks about it by talking about testimony. He uses a court of law. So in the first century, if you wanted to prove something, you needed two witnesses that said the same thing in agreement, and then we could trust that that actually happened. And so John points to that and uses that example as a way that we can sort of trust what he's saying, what God says in Jesus. Verse 7 and 8, it says, For there are three that testify, not just two, which is what they would have needed in a court of law, the spirit, the water, and the blood. And the three are in agreement. We accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater because it's the testimony of God, which he has given about his son. Whoever believes in the son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his son. So John knows that the human heart has trouble trusting. And so he gives a couple proofs to try to help us trust. He says the water and the blood testify. So Jesus' actual baptism, that would have not happened that long before he wrote this or before the people would remember. That happened. Jesus' baptism happened. Jesus was crucified and died. And died. Those two things happened, and they testify to the truth of what he's saying. But then he also says that God's own spirit testifies. So in the end, faith, as hard as it is, just requires trust. Faith in God requires trust in God more than trust in ourselves. So John gives us these little things that we can hold on to, but at the end of the day, we have to make a choice about what and who we're going to trust. Verse 9 says, we accept human testimony, but God's testimony is greater. Why? Because it's the testimony of God about his son, which he has given about his son. At the end of the day, we trust God because he's God. Faith is always a leap. Always. And at times, the choice to do things that God asks us to do are going to seem silly to the eyes of the world or to us. They're going to seem like they don't really make a lot of sense or really get us ahead. And as I think about all of the things that God has asked me to do, they have been things 
that very often would look silly in the eyes of the world. But we hope, we do them hoping that God is trustworthy. As I think about my own life, the two things that really stick out is when God asked me to leave my friends and my church and a house that I loved to move back home and plant a church in Altoona. Many, many people told me that was a stupid idea. And to be honest, there were parts of me that were like, I don't really know about this. But that's something that God asked me to do. And I had to hope that God was trustworthy. I had to trust him more than myself or more than the people who said this is a bad idea. He asked, actually, Derek, both and I, both of us, to quit our jobs, our professions that we went to college for and paid money for and studied for to end our ministry full time. And again, it's not something that really, in the eyes of the world, makes a whole lot of sense. But what I do know is that as I look back on my life, those are some of the two best decisions that I've ever made that have grown my faith in ways that I can't even explain, that have provided a life of more peace and more hope and more love and more joy than I could have ever imagined, than any amount of money or comfort could have provided me. So I'm just going to name a few other things that God has asked me to do that I think are not necessarily leave your home and your job, but might hit your heart a little bit. One of the things that God constantly asks me to do is to keep loving people and allowing them to love you even though they aren't perfect. And they will at some point let you down. Allow people to speak into your life and do what they say, trusting that maybe they know better than you do. Bear the pain of uncovering your deep wounding and brokenness so that others can help you and God can heal you. But friends, it's only through faith in God and Jesus' son that we overcome the world. We do this by trusting God more than we trust ourselves. And faith, or trusting God, grows as we extend faith. As we do the little things that God asks us to do, he grows our faith so that we can do more and more. Step out trusting God more than trusting ourselves. It grows our faith. And so at the end of this section of scripture, John makes it super clear what the testimony he's talking about is when he's talking about the testimony that the water, blood, and spirit give. Verse 10 through 11 says, whoever believes in the Son of God accepts this testimony. Whoever does not believe God has made him out to be a liar because they have not believed the testimony God has given about his Son. And this is the testimony. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. We can overcome the world because the life that God gives in Jesus is eternal. And I don't mean going on forever. Not exactly. I think when we think about eternal things, it's like it's going to happen now and it's going to keep happening forever. That's not the full of it. The word eternal in the Greek means that the thing that we're talking about has a quality of timelessness. It means that it transcends time and actually the event gives time 
its meaning. I think we sort of measure time like this when we experience something really big and powerful and beautiful. I'm going to try to give some examples. There's a quality sometimes about events in our lives that are so full and good and beautiful that we measure time by those things. For example, I might say, when I gave birth to my kids, I'm talking about a specific day that happened on a specific day, but I don't measure time by that day. I measure time by the event that happened. The event that happened is what gives time its meaning, and it's a timeless event. It has meaning for the rest of eternity. Or I might say, on my wedding day, I felt like I won the lottery. Many of you have heard me say that. I say that a lot, and I did, because I married the best guy. And what I mean is that, <laughs> what I mean is that on August 15th, 2004, I felt like I won the lottery. But I don't measure it by the time. I measure it by this amazing, holy, beautiful, sacred thing that happened on that day. Does that make sense? So that's what I mean when I say God gives us eternal life. I mean that he gives us a life that gives time its meaning, that is timeless and goes throughout and continues to have meaning no matter when the time is. And I think we've all felt moments like that, right? Moments where you feel like most, like heaven's there. There's like this tangible experience of really good, really holy. You almost want to be quiet in those moments because it's so sacred. That's the kind of life that God promises us in Jesus, eternal life. And life like that overcomes the world. It transcends time, and it transcends the things of this world. It's so beautiful and free and good that it goes beyond time and gives time its meaning. And we can't produce that. No matter how hard we try to have the perfect summer schedule, we can't produce eternal life, the kind of life that has that kind of quality no matter how much we try to avoid feeling disappointed or scared or angry or taken advantage of, we can't produce the goodness of eternal life that God promises us in Jesus. That only comes through faith in Jesus and trusting that we will trust God more than we trust ourselves. Overcoming the world doesn't mean that we never suffer. It means that we will live lives that transcend and have a quality of peace and goodness that is beyond this world. And that's not dependent on circumstances. It's dependent on life in Jesus. John, in his gospel, records one of the last things that Jesus says to his disciples before he leaves. This is in chapter 16. John says, I have told, or Jesus says, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. And that is the life that is promised 
in Jesus. It's hard to read whenever I'm crying. (laughs) But we have to give up having faith in ourselves to take hold of that. So here's what I want to do. I think there are many of us who need to give up control. I think there are many of us who have been trying to live a good life and trying to make a good life. That's not bad. That's something inside of us that knows we're meant for more, but that's not the way. It's just not, it won't work. The only way to eternal life is to take hold of the life that Jesus offers. And that doesn't mean that we have to be good And that doesn't mean that we have to earn it. It just means that we have to say yes and let him change us. I think there are some of us who have been relying on our own abilities to provide for ourselves financially. I feel like that's a thing that God wants to put his finger on. And I don't mean that it's not okay to be, we need to steward our money well. I don't mean that you need to quit your job. But I'm saying that that's what we put our hope in. And if you're someone who is trying to live the good life through your own ability to provide for yourself, even financially, I think God wants you to release that a little bit, to surrender that to him. And I don't know what that looks like for you exactly, but God does. And I believe he'll tell you. I think there are some of us who have been burned by people in the past. Maybe again and again and again. And I do have, I think that's true. That through your life, you can look back and you can say, oh, see, it happened again. I, I knew it. Why did I trust? Why did I believe that this time would be different? It happened again. This, people constantly let me down. But I think God wants to heal those things. And wants to bring you into relationship with people even though they're broken, just like you and I are. You find safety and security maybe in keeping people at a distance. That's how you're going to protect yourself. But God wants to do that through Jesus for you. He wants to give you a new way to live. Some of you may be so scared of being tricked or being wrong that you're afraid to give up full control to God. Because what if you're believing the wrong thing? Like, what if something is wrong? And so you're afraid to surrender and give up to him. And I think God has something for you this morning. Here's the thing. God not only wants it all, he demands it all. And not because he's a selfish baby. It's because he's the only one who knows what to do with it. We don't. We think we do. But we don't. But the beauty is that he is kind and loving. And he works in processes to grow our faith little by little so that we can surrender more and more to him. Thank you again for choosing the Vineyard Altoona podcast. We're so excited to see how God will release his kingdom in and through you today for the glory of Jesus Christ. With this, be blessed, and we'll see you next time.